Pro Se, Law360's weekly podcast. I'm your host, Amber McKinney, and I'm here with my co-host, Alex Lawson. Hi, Amber. How are you? No Bill Donahue this week. He's Don't off have on Bill. vacation. He's um, off in the hinterlands. Yes. He is. It's nice to get away from uh, from New York every now and again since we're yes. all just cooked up here. But uh, we do have a fun show. You and I had a chance to talk to one of the preeminent sketch artists uh, inside courtrooms, and it was a great talk. Yeah, his name is Art Lean. He's a courtroom sketch artist. He works primarily uh, in the in the Supreme Court these days, so that's obviously very interesting. I've always just been very intrigued by the profession of courtroom sketch artistry, so we had an interesting talk with him about that. Uh, foolishly, I did not. I I neglected to ask him about um, being an artist and being named Art. I completely whiffed. <laughs> it seemed hacky. I was wrestling with it. I ultimately just left it alone. Frankly, I have regrets, but it's a good segment nonetheless. We do, however, have a tremendous amount of news to get to before we get to that conversation. You know, I woke up today, I'm reading Twitter, I'm looking at the headlines, what's in the news, Uh, Democratic National Convention, uh, the basketball playoffs, various things. I'm scrolling, I'm scrolling. And some real... Breaking news. Steve uh, Bannon was arrested. Steve Bannon was arrested today. Yeah. So um, former Trump campaign advisor, Steve Bannon. He's a former th- White House advisor. Wasn't just he in was. the, uh, wasn't just right. campaign. He was like a, he was in the White House. Yeah. And uh, three other people along with him were arrested on charges of defrauding hundreds of thousands of people who donated to a big fundraising effort to support construction of a wall on the southern border. Yeah. Um, so... I remember this kind of vaguely. I mean, obviously, everyone knows that building the wall has been um, a priority of the Trump of of the government. But this is this relates to something that popped up after Bannon left the White House and entered the private sector. And he's kind of popped up here and there as yeah, something resembling a Trump surrogate, but is obviously very still on the hardline immigration tip. What exactly is alleged to have been to have been done here? So Manhattan federal prosecutors say that Bannon was part of um, basically a scheme to bilk donors through a crowdfunding campaign. The campaign was called We Build the Wall. So Bannon and the other people very involved creative in this, name. <laughs> well, I mean, you know what you're <laughs> allegedly getting into when you donate, except that's the problem that. Yeah. Bannon and three of the other organizers of this all promised funds would go straight to efforts to build a wall on the southern border mm-hmm. and and that there wouldn't be salaries or other payouts to any of the organizers. But that last part was a lie. Um, <laughs> allegedly. So, allegedly. <laughs> yes, yes. So We have an indictment. Yeah. That's all we're going on. That should be sort of caveated throughout here. But yes. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, yeah, so yeah, that's fine. As you said, I mean, Donald Trump from the very beginning when he started campaigning said, you know, he wanted to build a wall on the southern border. For a long time, he said Mexico would pay for it. And then once he was actually elected and and getting into proceeding with this big plan, uh, funding was needed. It wasn't coming from Mexico. So he got into these protracted conversations with Congress and Republicans and Democrats really disagreed on on what funding to put toward this project. Mm-hmm. Um, it was out of that fight that this crowdsourcing thing arose. Um, we Build the Wall ultimately was a big success as far as crowdsourcing goes. It was on GoFundMe, um, that yeah. popular Success platform. is sort of a relative term here, given the uh, the <laughs> well, allegations. But I know what you're su- saying. I mean, the point is they got a lot of money. Success in terms of what they got. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So they yes. raised $25 million. And yeah. $17 million of that was in like the first day. So this is mm-hmm. very popular. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, from there, we get a little messier. So 
what's happening now is that Bannon allegedly received about a million dollars and several hundred thousand dollars of that he used to pay a bunch of personal expenses. Mm-hmm. Um, the indictment says that he hid payments to himself and one of the other men um, by funneling cash from this GoFundMe campaign through a nonprofit that he ran and some shell companies they set up using things like fake invoices and bogus vendor arrangements to hide yeah. what was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, the charges facing Bannon and several of the others in this alleged scheme are wire fraud and conspiracy to commit money laundering. So yes. some pretty hefty things there. Yeah, there um, was some color about the actual circumstances under which he was taken into custody, which this I know we might be to touch my favorite very, very part, briefly. Alex. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's, you know, it's very cinematic. Um, he was arrested by agents for the U.S. Postal Service, which there's a lot of irony right now because the Postal Service is in a, a big fight with the Trump administration, too. It all right. sort of seems to just be coming together. Um, they arrested him on a mega yacht named Lady May, and that was off the coast of Connecticut when they nabbed him this morning. Yeah, there was a real there was a real splurge in uh, gifts from the arrested development pilot. Uh, oh, sure. When the arrest is made at sea, there was a lot of... Uh, a lot of maritime law experts coming out of the woodwork Great. on legal Twitter today. Hope Great. to talk to some of them in the future as this yeah, plays I mean, out. I, I do think it's a, I just, it's a total <laughs> digression, but I do want to have a little aside about postal service agents oh, yeah. uh, being the ones to make the arrest. I think a lot of people were shocked to realize there's a division in the postal service that does this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I learned, so I knew that. So I knew that there was something that called the United States Postal Ins- Postal Inspection Service, and I knew that they conducted investigations. But what I didn't know is that they were like empowered to execute search warrants and yeah. like make arrests. I didn't know. Like I, I figured that was like marshaled out to, to somewhere else in the Justice Department or the FBI or something. But our former colleague Nicole Norea, who now works at Vox, did a little write up about them today about the USPIS, uh, and it in- included a link to a. Uh, a pretty hilarious, like, I guess it's like a training video for this arm of the postal Yeah, like recruiting service. video or something. Very yeah. strange. They say, oh, you're a lot like the FBI. I like to tell them, no, the FBI's a lot like us. We investigate a number of crimes to safeguard society in general. We're very aggressive in how we investigate things. I'm there to make things right. When things go wrong, I make them right. If you're innocent, you'll be set free. But if you're guilty, there's no way you're going to get around the Postal Inspection Service. So always fun to learn new things about the federal bureaucracy <laughs> and its and its massive power. Uh, I know my dad. I I I wonder if the dads of the nation are are taking heat in this. My dad was always very quick to say, you know, you tamper with the mail; it's a federal offense. He was obsessed <laughs> yes. with that with that piece of trivia, and that well, that carries true. a lot of weight today. Um, but anyway, like you say, Bannon, you sort of rose to prominence. He was a bright. He was you know the editor of Breitbart, and then he was a, a Trump White House guy. I mean. Trump was certainly asked about this today. What did he have he to say? Yeah. Well, I'd, I'd say two things here. One, um, we found out just before we got into record, this is Thursday afternoon, that Bannon's entered a not guilty plea. So this has a long way to play out. But yes. Trump, of course, was asked about this. And he more or less distanced himself from Bannon. He said it's been a really long time since they've worked together. Um, he called it sad that this happened. And um, he even sort of panned this GoFundMe project in the first place. He said, quote, I don't like that project. I thought it was being done for showboating reasons. So we do have, as you say, we do have some some way to go there as that legal proceeding plays out. 
However, if that ends up going to trial, uh, there is a chance uh, that the trial could be conducted over Zoom because that is a new reality that is sort of taking hold in the post-COVID world. There are trials being conducted by Zoom uh, all over the country. And this week we got we we are we are starting to see some uh, basically basically like like growing pains a little bit difficulty that's arising uh, as as trials are conducted over Zoom and other video conferencing uh, platforms. Specifically, I wanted to highlight two mesothelioma trials that are underway in California, where defendants are saying that the Zoom format has sort of raised some unique concerns regarding the way that juries are receiving information at trial. Yeah, it seems like um, Zoom trials are not going as smoothly as pro se's transition to Zoom podcasting. I mean, so. that's a high bar. That's a high bar to clear. <laughs> it really I is. I mean, let's, really let's, is. Let's, let's, let's be fair on that. But yes. uh, yeah, tell me more about these trials. Like what kind of stuff is going on with these? Yeah, so like I say, we're talking about two mesothelioma cases in California state court uh, brought against companies by people who say they were uh, exposed to asbestos. Um, those are... I mean, I, I think everyone's basically familiar with how those trials work. These are very common legal claims that are brought against, you know, c- companies that, um, you know, e- either make products that have asbestos in them, and then the and then the the people contract a disease, and then they sue over it. Yeah. Um, the first case um, is one that was brought against Honeywell, and it's brought by a former janitor who said he was exposed to asbestos uh, contained in brake linings uh, that were made by he was uh, uh, he he worked at auto dealerships and a couple other places, and he said Honeywell bought this company that made these brake lines that had asbestos. So that trial is underway. It's being done over Zoom in California, and Honeywell has already flagged a few issues. So lawyers for the company say that they have observed jurors... Um, the Because the, 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 everybody is remote. That's the whole idea, right? I mean, they, sure. So like they, they are not... It's not like they're over Zoom in court. They are in their houses. And the lawyers for Honeywell basically say... They've seen jurors like walking around while the court is issuing jury instructions, maybe not listening. Company also claims that it's seen like one juror basically working and emailing and jurors looking at other screens. They basically think that they are working from home while performing jury duty. Uh, They've also generally kind of complained about the quality of the audio feed um, and a couple of other things. Now, so far, those have just been flagged as um, what the what the company has called a a notice of irregularities. They haven't asked for a mistrial or even a specific remedy. Uh, I was talking to Dan Siegel, who was writing about this for us, and he said, um, you know, the company could be like preserving those arguments for an appeal if they get a verdict they don't like. You know, they can pull coals in the proceeding that that way. Um, Interesting thing about that trial, though, um, the judge has already been replaced because at an earlier stage of that trial... The original judge who was assigned to it was caught on a hot mic, unaware that he was broadcasting to attorneys that the judge himself said he had done some break work and construction work, you know, back in the day. And he said, I've probably been exposed to some asbestos oh. uh, and didn't before I even knew about it. So he eventually recused himself. And there's a new I judge. Mean, and this, this, never, this almost abound. never would have happened. Like, it never would have happened <laughs> yeah. if it weren't on Zoom. Um, well, I mean, yeah. I, let's just pause for one second before we get to sort of the next batch of stuff we want to talk about with these Zoom trials. But yeah. I just want to say it it feels, I mean, obviously, if you're on a jury, uh, you should take it seriously. These are very important to people's lives. You're doing your civic duty, all of that. Yeah. But it's also so relatable and understandable <laughs> that if you're in your house, it's yeah, really I mean- hard to not be distracted by any number of things. I mean, some of these might be a, a little egregious if you're 
presumably working while you're supposed to be on a well, jury. Well, this is the collapsing not only it. of your not only of your private life and your professional life, but now but now also your sort of civic obligations right. all into yeah. one kind of untenable uh, mess. Um, but so, like I say, that Honeywell is just kind of flagging some concerns they have with the trial yeah. there, but. Um, there's another uh, mesothelioma trial that actually that actually produced a mistrial motion over some issues um, that that emerged uh, with Zoom concerns. So uh, in the same court, um, the insulation company Metal Clad um, has moved for a mistrial over some Zoom related speed bumps. Um, the judge denied that mistrial motion um, late on Wednesday. Um, but I think it's a, I think it's worth discussing exactly what they were concerned about. So, yeah. Uh, at an earlier stage of this litigation, while the attorneys and the judge uh, for Metal Clad and then the plaintiff, uh, the plaintiff in this case is a retired Navy admiral whose name is Ronald Wilgenbush, who said he was exposed to asbestos when they were doing maintenance on a, on a, a ship that he was working on. So at an earlier stage, the attorneys and the judge were in a, were in a, a breakout room, basically in a, in a different room from the parties and the jurors, crucially. So they're discussing the case, and then Wilgenbush, the plaintiff, apparently gets, gets into this friendly discussion with the jury on the all-too-relatable topic of changing your Zoom background photo. <laughs> so Wilgenbush uh, noticed that one of the jurors had a custom background of a courtroom behind them. Apparently, he makes some kind of remark on it. This is all, this is all alleged by the company, and then, but, the, but, the, but the facts are not in dispute. They've all stipulated that this happened. So... When he comments on this custom background that one of the jurors has, a couple of the jurors sort of engage him in this friendly conversation and they walk him through the process of how to change your Zoom background to a custom photo. And at one point he changes it to a photo of like the Golden Gate Bridge and the entire jury goes like, ooh, ah, nice. It was like a very sort of... I don't want to like... I don't want to get into like this being sort of a charming part of the story because it led to a mistrial and I get why this would be important, but well, it led to a mistrial. That... It led to a mistrial motion. Right. They, sure. they, they, mistrial they, motion. They, Sorry. They move for a mistrial. It's like, I, it's so much easier in the controlled environment of an actual courtroom. It would never happen. To keep right? things, like, people separate things, um, really very sterile between the groups that are doing the judging and the people involved in the case. Definitely, It's so hard when you're in this virtual environment. I think people are also stressed out, so they probably are a little chattier on Zoom while they're waiting on things anyway. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. So I mean, so like I say, the company moved for a mistrial based on this interaction. Uh, They said that Wilgen Bush, quote, intentionally and subtly created juror empathy just by having like a friendly interaction with them. The judge who was hearing the case is uh, Alameda County Superior Court Judge Brad Seligman. He denied the mistrial motion. He basically said this is a one-off interaction, doesn't have anything to do with the questions at hand. Here was the quote in the order that came down. He said, quote, the conduct did not relate to the trial. It was a brief interaction. Nothing in the communication was inherently prejudicial. All jurors stated they were not influenced by the incident. So there's no mistrial, but this is important to note. The incident created enough waves that the judge um, did change the, 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 the Zoom protocols going forward so that the jurors and the witnesses and the parties will be kept in separate waiting rooms where they can't yeah. interact while the judge is not present. So it does, you know, in the opinion of this one judge, in this one instance, it doesn't rise to the level of a mistrial. But they are taking, you know, steps to see that stuff like that doesn't happen again. It's not like they want them just shooting the breeze, like, casually when, you know, they're they're on a break or something. 
But it's very interesting because this is just this is just another sort of procedural like the the zoom dynamic creates another procedural quirk that parties will inevitably bicker over if stuff like this uh, continues to happen. In a time when we've all got supercomputers in our pockets and unprecedented access to events unfolding half a world away, relying on a hand-drawn illustration to learn about news seems positively quaint. But so long as television access to legal proceedings remains limited, the courtroom sketch artist will continue to play a vital role. And we are talking today with Art Lean. He is an artist who has covered the Supreme Court and other legal proceedings for decades for an inside look at this endlessly interesting profession. At least it's interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to the rest of you as well. Uh, Welcome to the show, Art. Thank you. Art, I'm Uh, excited that you're here. I feel like you're one of us, that we're trying to shed some light on courtrooms, and that's what your profession's all about, too. (laughs) That's right. Uh, So let's start with some basics here. Um, I just want to know, you you can speak personally, how did you exactly get into this line of work, and how typical would you say that path is for other uh, courtroom sketch artists? Well, I don't think there is any typical path. Everybody I've talked to, it's been a little bit different. I um, kind of stumbled into it. Uh-huh. I had graduated from art school and um, was painting houses and, and tarring roofs and laying sod and, you know, any job I could get. And our governor in Maryland was going on trial. Um, a local TV station was looking for an artist to sketch. I tried out and I got the job that way. How did you, can you talk a little bit about how it blossomed from, I don't know, just a gig that you picked up almost, you know, on a cold request to now, I mean, you are, I mean, if if you are one of the sort of preeminent sketch artists, like I said, you do the Supreme Court and other things. I mean, how did you sort of elevate yourself? Well, um, a lot of it had to do with luck and, and also just coming back. Um, my first day in court, um, it was in a ceremonial courtroom. Everybody was so far away. I had the wrong materials. I had this watercolor that was just, you know, dripping off the page. And, and I, I, it was just a mess. And they fired me the first day. Oh, no. <laughs> um, I, I rethought my materials, um, told us, asked the station if I could go back the next day. They didn't have to pay me, but I would send in my work and they could maybe might re- reconsider. And I did that and I got the job back. Um, <laughs> it's and, a real redemption I, arc for you. Yeah. I, um, you know, after that, I, I worked for the local for a few months, and I then I contacted the three networks. There were only three at that time sure, in D.C., yeah. and I, I wrote to each of them, and um, CBS responded. And um, and I got to meet um, a, an artist named Howard Brody, who had been a World War II combat artist, and just, you talk to any sketch courtroom sketch artist and Howard Brody is sort of like, you know, Mm -hmm. he's up there. Um, And he took me under his wing and, and showed, took me over to the Supreme court and then over to the Senate. There weren't cameras in there at that time. Sure. And uh, you know, I started working for CBS and that's how I got my start. 
So, Art, I think it's really interesting that you brought up um, having trouble figuring out materials when you were a brand new sketch artist. Um, because I, I wonder about that all the time. I mean, as reporters, we're used to, can we get a computer in through uh, security? Do we just have to rely on a, on a notepad and a pen the old-fashioned way? How do you figure out the right things to bring with you to court? And, um, I mean, even the sort of the, the nitty-gritty of this process, are you just sketching an outline? You're coloring it in later? Is it all done real time so that the minute the hearing's over, you can pass it on to the news editors that are relying on you? How's that all work? Um, I think like, just like other reporters, it's, it's always a little bit different. Um, you know, the materials and, and the way you, um, you attack the assignment, um, is, is pretty critical. Um, the materials I bring in, um, it's taken me a long time to refine, um, what I need. I, I used to bring a, a lot of markers and, and, and large pads and, and all sorts of stuff that I, I really didn't need. And I, I finally have whittled it down today to just one little box of watercolors, a brush and a pencil. And um, now, of course, today with electronics, um, I where I used to bring sketches outside to be shot by a camera, now I, I scan them. I bring along a scanner and a laptop, mm -hmm. which I may have to leave in the press room or in my car. How many um, how many images are you capturing? Let's just say it's like an hour long hearing or session of argument. I mean, are you picking? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about how you choose what to capture in a second, but just in terms of sheer volume and process, I mean, are you just honing in on one thing and capturing that, or are you capturing several things as the, as the hearing goes along, or what? You sort of have a minimum of, um, you need a scene setter, a wide mm -hmm. shot, something that's just sort of, you know, and that's probably the least important sketch. Um, <laughs> right. And and from there, you, you need a, a sketch of, you know, the lawyers talking, it depends what it is, whether it's a, a trial or an argument. Yeah. Um, but um, that, that most consuming sketch is that wide shot, which usually just flashes by, you know, a lot of times we're working on, I'll be working on several sketches at the same time, especially when I'm in a, a trial situation where I'm there for like the whole morning or the whole afternoon. Um, so it's hard to say exactly how long it takes me. Mm -hmm. uh, the Supreme Court is a little bit different. Um, I will work on a wide shot, you know, with all the columns and the bench and so on. I'll, I'll work on it piecemeal mm -hmm. um, and only finish up. So I may have started that sketch, you know, on another day just so that I have something prepared, usually just the architectural elements and so yeah. on. And, and then I'll fill in the foreground. Mm -hmm. And the lawyers, uh, you know, on the day of the argument. And you're just doing that from memory? Well, a lot of, I think courtroom sketching is really sketching from memory because okay. you're always sketching it's, something it's, it's, you it's, just saw. Yeah, it's in motion. It's not, no, no one's posing for you is the thing. Right, yeah. right. Um, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you, you, you are sort of riding the line between journalism and actual sort of expressive art. And... Um, you know, an artist is not the same as a camera. So even though you have a duty to capture the reality of what is happening in front of you, you are inherently making decisions about how to depict it. And I just want to mm -hmm. talk about how those decisions are made. How do you know when a moment like demands capturing? Because at the end of the day, I mean, we are talking about, you know, lawyers are talking to a judge or several judges. How do you know, like, 
this is exactly what I need to capture right now. What are you looking for? What I'm looking for, it, it, again, it depends on the kind of, of courtroom proceeding it is. Um, a Supreme Court argument, um, usually I'm looking for that justice, you know, who is going to ask the question that's going to indicate which way, um, you know, that justice is leaning. Um, now, of course, in a, in a criminal trial, I'm, I'm looking at the witnesses and the defendants seem to be the, you know, our most mm-hmm. important um, the funny thing is, um, at the Supreme Court, um, early on, I used to, I had a seat where I could see the lawyers really well. Mm-hmm. And it took years to realize that the lawyers really weren't the main thing. It's Yeah, not. definitely not. Yeah. And, and the seat where you can see the lawyer really well, you, you can't see some of the justices. So now I've moved over somewhat so I can see the whole bench. Um, and my view of the lawyer is like three quarters of the back of the head. <laughs> How do you prepare for that art? I mean, the Supreme Court in particular, you know you're going to see the same people over and over. And maybe if you're going to just a circuit court, for example, you might know a celebrity is going to be there that you're going to capture. Do you look at any materials beforehand? Do you do any prep to make sure you know that you can capture someone accurately? Um, I do. I, I usually, you know, I try to read about the case um, and... Um, you know, if there's going to be a celebrity sitting in the courtroom or somebody I need to recognize, they might not be, a, especially if yeah. they're not a celebrity, yeah. you know, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and that happens a lot at the Supreme Court. Um, the only time you ever really hear, you know, a news item pop up about an actual courtroom sketch, not not accompanying, not accompanying coverage is when the public perceives it as bad or unintentionally humorous. And I'm thinking specifically about the Tom Brady sketch from the Deflategate trial, which of course became a meme in and of itself. Now I'm not rendering judgment on that. I am not, I I am no, no one's idea of an art critic. That's not the point of the question. I just want to know if anything, first of all, if anything like that has ever happened to you. And secondly, like how does that sort of looming threat color your approach to the job? If it, if it, if it affects it at all. Um, well, first of all, Jane Rosenberg, who, who did yeah. that sketch, is, is a really good friend of mine, and, and she's done some, some excellent work. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, to be fair, that was a very small head in a very large drawing in a crowded <laughs> sure. courtroom, and they, they just yeah, sort of definitely. blew it up. Yeah. Um, uh, as far as it happening to me, um, it has not, except um, in the covering the Tsarnaev trial, the, the Boston Marathon the, yeah, bomber, mm-hmm. yeah. um, when he was first uh, first appeared in the courtroom, and I got some criticism that I made him look too old. Oh, okay. Um, but that's about it. He, he seemed to have a y- lot of young female followers that uh, got very angry when I didn't yeah, do a I know. good job with them. <laughs> yeah, I remember he got put on like Rolling Stone or something, and it was like a, it, it looked yes. like a Tiger Beat cover or something. But I mean, is the... Is the is the thought that you might sort of get blowback if you, you know, and I'm using this in quotes, mess up. I mean, it's an, it's a subjective medium or whatever, but like, is that like in your head when you're doing this stuff or you're just. No, I don't think I've ever thought of it. No, there's there's too much going on. I'm just trying to, you know, do my job. (laughs) Well, to follow up on this, I mean, we're, we're pointing out all the sort of, uh, big threats to this medium. Um, One of the next ones that's sort of always looming in the background is when will courts fully embrace cameras in court? Do you think about that eventuality? How do you feel about that um, 
as something that could be coming, which would obviously really impact your profession? Um, well, that's something that everybody thinks has been coming for, for years and years. <laughs> sure. um, you know, right. uh, at the beginning of my career, uh, you know, everybody's sort of thought, okay, this is it, you know, in 10 years, there'll be cameras everywhere. And, and now it's been like 40 years. Um, but I do think eventually um, the cameras uh, will be pretty much everywhere. I, I, you know, I do think that they should be in the Supreme Court. And, um, and I keep wondering, um, you know, with this pandemic, um, maybe now is a time to, you know, obviously, it's not up to me, but um, I, I don't know how we're going to handle this upcoming term um, to do more of these uh, call in um, yeah. arguments. Um, I don't know. Well, I just want I mean, do you have I mean, you say you support it in the Supreme Court specifically. I don't yeah. know if that's like an ideological position. I just wondered if you were like wary of it as like a job threat. But like you say, it's been a threat for a while, but you don't seem to mind. Well, you know, I, I'm going to be 70 years old pretty soon. <laughs> I'm not really worried about it. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. Maybe I'm, I'll ask a younger sketch artist uh, on, yes, on, on yeah. next week's show. That's a good point. You're, you're probably knocking on the door. Well, not having how, to worry about it too much. how have things been going for you during this pandemic? Because we've all had to make a lot of adjustments to what's going yeah. on in court. There's not a lot of trials going on even now. Um, you know, things are mostly on Zoom. So where does that leave you? Have you still been doing sketches based on any video calls or anything like that? No, I haven't. Um, it's it's just been very quiet. But this summertime is, is pretty quiet anyway. Um, mm -hmm. You know, my main beat is the Supreme Court and they're not around much. Um, I did one banner at the beginning when they started doing the, um, the call-in arguments. Um, telephone conference arguments. Um, and uh, since then, um, really, there, you know, I've done the occasional banner. Mm. Um, I, I have gone to actually gone to court in, in uh, federal court in, in Virginia, district court, um, which was interesting. Um, you know, only two people could ride the elevator. And when yeah. we got in the courtroom, everybody was wearing masks. Um, mm -hmm. Um, I will say uh, the masks make people a lot easier to draw. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna yeah. ask about that too. I mean, I, don't... I mean, I guess easier to draw, but harder for the end product to really see. You know, big expressions that people are making when oh, they're yeah. testifying or when the judges are saying something. Exactly. You... Now, now yeah. all you have are the eyes yeah. to tell the story. <laughs> Well, that, that reminds me, and this is a little bit of a digression, but I'll forget if I don't ask mm -hmm. it now. How are you with hands? I could never draw hands. Do you like <laughs> it? Do you hate it? What's up? They, they call me the master of hands. So. Oh, perfect <laughs> question. I, wow. I, well, I, that's, that, I, I, that just shows I didn't research enough, but yes. I, I'm very good with hands. Yeah. Nice. Very cool. Um, well, I wanted to ask, uh, you know, you're, you said you went to art school, and uh, obviously this is your main job now. I presume you do some art sort of in your spare time that is unrelated to court proceedings. I just wanted to know if, you know, you know, the, the sort of, if, if the non courtroom sort of part, part, part uh, portion of your work informs your court sketching or the other way around. I mean, is there any interplay there? Um, yeah, there is a lot. Um, I, I struggle with it a lot. Um, I, I, okay have really become very interested in watercolor. I, I started using it in the courtroom just a few years ago mm -hmm. and it's, it's just been wonderful. Um, it's the possibilities are endless and, and I'm really interested in doing something a little more, you know, just 
art for art's sake or, or sure you know pure watercolor and so mm-hmm. i've been going out and, and doing landscapes and and working in the studio and and just um playing around with it a lot and and really enjoying it and part of me would love to retire and just paint <laughs> uh i did mean to ask actually back when we were talking about materials you said you've 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 gotten around using watercolors is that typical i feel like i mostly see colored pencils and markers and things like that are you or or, or is that fairly typical in the profession using watercolor um, I think I'm pretty much the only one. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. There, there are some other artists who who throw in watercolor with other media. Um, mm-hmm. I've sort of gone through a lot of different media. I started out with um, opaque watercolor. It's called gouache. Mm-hmm. Um, then I went to uh, pen and ink with some watercolor. Then I went to Prismacolor colored pencils, mm-hmm. um, and then I went to pastels for a while, which which I just hated them. Um, <laughs> and and then I I went to a combination of colored pencils and markers, and so I've sort of tried it all. Okay, and then, yeah, and then you've I mean, what what about the watercolor was like remarkable to you? I mean, is I mean, especially since it's so rare. That's what I ask. I don't know why it's so rare because it's 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 just very easy and simple and it allows me to work very small. Ah, um, okay. I, a lot of artists will come into the courtroom with big, you know, eighteen by twenty-four oh, okay. uh, sheets of paper. Um, mm-hmm. I'm usually working on a nine by twelve inch uh, paper, okay. and I I can do a wide shot on that size. Uh, we're getting a little bit long here, so I want to go to a speed round. I got a couple of yeah. questions for you, uh, which you can just, uh, be as brief as you like. Or Short as answers. That like. eh, doesn't really matter. Um, but, uh, I, I fashioned it as a speed round because it's fun to say, but we'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> First of all, I've always wanted to ask a professional artist this. What is your favorite color? Oh, blue. Good call. Uh, Okay. You, uh, you um, work, as we've said many times now, you work primarily in the Supreme Court. Favorite justice to illustrate? Right now, it's uh, Sonia Sotomayor. Yeah, why is that? Um, well, she always has big bangles, earrings and bangles and, yeah. and, um, and, and the hair. It's, it's just, it's a great package. You know. Least favorite justice to illustrate? You don't have to hurt anyone's feelings. I just wonder if anybody was like a specific challenge. Well, the biggest challenge is is Roberts, the Chief Justice. Now, why is I that? Really, I have a hard time with him. Well, he's got a. It's like Tom Brady. He has a, a plain, handsome face. You know, it's. I can't say I've ever heard anybody compare John Roberts <laughs> to Tom Brady. Uh, John but that's, Roberts I, is going to well, love this may, episode. Maybe he won't be so, quite so angry with me, right? <laughs> <laughs> he does have like an indistinguishable, like every man type of yeah. quality that I could see being kind of hard to to capture. So that's interesting yeah. to hear you say that. Uh, uh, second, let, second, yeah. second most favorite justice to draw is Breyer, just yeah. because of his body language. He's always gesturing, and and <laughs> plus he asks these very long hypotheticals, which mm-hmm. gives you lots of time to you know get the sketch. <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. If he's filibustering a little bit, you're like, all right, yeah. let's 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 see what this guy's all about here. Yeah. Um, we'll get you out of here on this. Um, you know, you you talked about someone uh, you know taking you under your wing uh, uh, when you were sort of getting your start. I don't know if you talk to younger courtroom sketch artists or anything like that. I mean, do you have any sort of general thoughts about things you would say to them or the state of the profession, whether it's the looming threat of cameras or anything, any sort of words of wisdom you would say, uh, since you say you're probably closer to the be 
closer to the end of your career than the beginning? Well, I, I do get a lot of inquiries from from young artists who, who want to go into the field of, of sketching the courtroom, and I, I try to dissuade them. Um, I usually <laughs> tell them that it's a dying art, and there oh, really no. isn't much work. Well, there really is not much work anymore. Yeah, that's um, true. In D.C., there's really basically only two, you know, two sketch artists. Um, this is well, not that. Yeah. Um, this is not that different from when I get uh, people asking me if they should go to law school. I'm like, well, think long <laughs> and hard about it before you do. <laughs> well, it's interesting to hear you say that, uh, just because uh, we're, we're we're of course happy to have you on. And I mean, if the profession is effectively dying, uh, then uh, this is uh, all the more rare and exclusive. So uh, we do appreciate you coming on the show. Sure, it was my pleasure. Thanks, Art. I really enjoyed the show today. Uh, thanks for being with me, Alex. Yeah, thanks. It was really interesting. I, uh, I'm, I'm a little upset that we didn't, we didn't know the Bannon news when we interviewed Art uh, about his about his sketch artistry. And I only and I only point that out because if Bannon goes to trial, I really look forward to seeing how an artist might render his visage because Steve Bannon oh, is a too. very Steve Bannon is a very interesting looking person, and I'll just yeah, leave he, it at that. So that's he's very memorable. So I bet you artists <laughs> like memorable. art. He yes. is. I mean, well, I mean, Art said in our interview that um, when someone has just a, a generic, like, handsome guy face, like John Roberts, it's a little hard to do. Um, but Steve Bannon has a real particular look. I bet he's fun to draw. Yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll definitely be keeping my eyes peeled for that one. But yes, it was a good show. Thanks so much, Amber. We also have some other people to thank for today's show. Our producers, Kelly Marcano and Stephen Trader. Our graphic designer, Chris Yates. Our guests, Art Lean. Contributing reporters, Dan Siegel, Jody Godoy, and Stuart Bishop. Music for the show comes from Silent Partner and Kelly Marcano. If you like our show, leave us a written review wherever you're listening to us right now. That helps other people find us. If you want to read more about all the things we've talked about, check out our website. That's law360.com slash podcast. Thanks and see you back here next week.